Good morning, people. All right, we just got done with a real hot jam. Old, old time, old time effects. Psychedelic music. Psycho Jello. I loved it. I played a 12 string SG from '69, and uh, a Dan Electro, a reverse delay, and a sitar, and a Vox delay. Through I don't know what amps those are. Those aren't mine. It's a a fifteen watt PV tube amp. A tube. And, I gotta have one of those. And then a hundred watt uh, acoustic combo. That's a hundred watts. I think it's sixty. Yeah. You're right. I think it's a sixty watt one twelve, and then a a fifteen watt one ten. I only use Vox and Marshall myself, but I forgot okay. my Vox. So. Is that, Vox, is that Vox solid state? I have uh, a 100 watt, uh, half and half. It's got a preamp tube in solid state. And then I got a uh, AC30 with a preamp tube in solid state. That's the best one. And then I got a solid state Brian May, 15 watt. Well, you can listen back to this and see what you think of. Uh, I think it's awesome. I have been listening to it. I don't know why I'm not listening to it now. Because I was told to, sh- to, to start talking. Uh, so you were inspired by Tommy Bolin. How did you find out about him? Because he's not really... I mean, if you talk to guitar players, and you know, if they'll list, list the greatest guitar players, you're not going to hear Tommy Bolin from, he was, from most people. He was the number one in the m- most... He was out of the, they had an article a few years ago, the top 100 most unknown guitar players, and he was number one. <laughs> as number, far as how, how, how many records he sold, uh, uh, no, how I many just, records I, he was on. And talent, you know, just like underrated. He, was, he wasn't number 100, he was the first on the list. And uh, so you think of Steve Howe, he's, he's not underrated, he was the... the overall best guitar player pulled in guitar magazine for 10 years or something so that you can't call that underrated no he's awesome yeah so that's use those big one one do you use a 175 yeah 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 all kinds of different stuff and he's you know telecasters later on and um you know les paul juniors and things like that really yeah yeah if you look at the tornado years but anyway that's um yeah, so Tommy yeah, Bolin. But, but um, yeah, but like the jazz background, fusion, gypsy jazz, bluegrass, country. I think that Tommy Bolin has a lot of chops that you don't see in guitar other than like Steve Howe. Yes. Well, okay. For, uh, Glenn Campbell, rest in peace. Rest in peace, Glenn. As far as, you know, like secret ringer super guitar players. So I'm from Sioux City, Iowa, and so is Tommy. Tommy grew up on 2740 Clark Street, and I was on like uh, 34th and Douglas, and my uncle used to hang out with him when he was in a band called Patch of Blue, which was his second band. His first band was a surf band called the Mersey Lose, and they did just instrumental music like... Uh, the Ventures. Ventures, but he did a lot of West Montgomery. That was his mm-hmm. guy, and... Um, then he went to Patch of Blue, and they were kind of a touring 
pop band, but he was only 14 uh, in Patch of Blue. He was 12 in Mersey Loose. And um, then he, my uncle, he saw him in Patch of Blue at uh, a Helan High School, Catholic high school dance in Sioux City. And they used to do It's Not Unusual by Tom Jones, and my uncle being a guitar player, he saw Tommy play, and he's like, that guy's really good. And they became, they knew each other, him and my aunt Cindy. And Tommy went away to uh, Denver slash Boulder to be in two bands, American Standard and then Zephyr, and Zephyr put out two records. But my uncle was living with us at the time before he moved to Oregon, and he says, hey, you know that guy I used to hang out with? He put out his second record, and I'm like, what? No, no, no. Beatles and Monkeys put out records, not Guy from Sioux City put out records. <laughs> and so uh, about a year later, Purple Smoke on the Water was huge, and only three years after that, Tommy Bolin was in Deep Purple. So everybody from Sioux City... That that was our he, he was our messiah. Okay, so you didn't discover him by looking at album jackets. You no. heard about him because he was local. Yes, and then that was a big deal. And then Richie Blackmore was off to form Rainbow. That is correct. Oddly enough, Tommy's drummer in Zephyr and Energy auditioned for the drummer in Rainbow, but Cozy Powell got it instead of uh, Bobby Berge. Um. So Tommy ended up in purple, and Bobby tried to get into Rainbow, but it didn't happen. Well, what what supergroup was Cozy Powell in? I uh, think wasn't there Emerson Lake and Powell for a second? Yes, Cozy Powell played with everybody: Black Sabbath and Rainbow, and uh, he played Cozy Powell. One of his first sessions was Mickey Dolan's. Mickey Dolan's was doing a fifties cover slash tribute album called i hate rock and roll <laughs> and uh, it was all 50 standards and uh cozy powell played the drums on that so that that was one of his first jobs but, oh so it was like vocal pop but that was competing with rock and roll at the time um no it was he just did 50 standards like purple people eater and uh this Mickey always liked to do weird comedy type songs. He has one called Wing Walker, where it's about a guy, you know, the old 20s Wing Walkers. And the song, I Hate Rock and Roll. Oh, no, it's rock and roll. I hate rock and roll. Hmm. It would have been, I the Ramones should have done it. I'm telling you, it would have been a smash. Um, Tommy, so his thing was, he started uh, on drums and then switched very quickly to Hawaiian pedal steel guitar, and then he picked up an acoustic guitar, and then he picked up an electric guitar, and Wes Montgomery was his guy. And uh, But one of his things he did, uh, Dave Brubeck's Take 5, Tommy learned that 5-4 time thing, you know? Um, Tommy transposed the keyboard parts to guitar and that was part of his repertoire was uh take five by dave brubeck but on guitar nice and wes montgomery did an album i think it was called day in the life in 67 right before he died last album before he died and that was really if you study tommy that's where a lion's share of tommy's chops came from was wes montgomery so he went to denver boulder and he 
there's a blues band called American Standard after the toilet. <laughs> I just met the singer about two weeks ago, uh, Jeff Cook. And um, Jeff was in this blues band called uh, Crosstown Bus, and then they saw Tommy, and they broke up Crosstown Bus and had American Standard. And they were blues band in 68, kind of the house band of the family dog in Denver, which was like the... Um, uh, Fillmore East and West of the Midwest. It was called the Family Dog. And uh, Tommy, I mean, he was a natural. His grandfather was a musician in Syria and uh, recorded records in Syria. And I think the gene just passed down through, you know. And, and Syria is one of those places that's had constant civilization for thousands of years yeah so there's some that's why the super 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 smart people come from there and so he's probably had a real good music calculator built into his brain just because where he's from apparently so um because when he played on cobham's album uh the mahavishnu orchestra john mclaughlin left and two of the guys billy cobham jan homer did an album with tommy called billy cobham spectrum and uh, Tommy didn't read music, and they called him, and he said, you want to play on my album? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he shows up, and Billy hands him the sheets, and Tommy looks at him, and he goes, okay. When Billy left the room, he looked at Jan Hammer, and he goes, I can't read music. So Jan got out his keyboard and played the keyboard parts for Tommy, and Tommy memorized them on guitar, and then they cut the album in three days. So, yeah, he just had the gift. So, okay, so, you know, Hendrix is huge, 68. And there's nobody bigger than Hendrix. Nobody. I don't care what you say. And Hendrix's experience was playing the Denver Pop Festival. And their roadie said, you got to see this young kid at the Family Dog. And so Hendrix went out to see him. And he watched a set. And he said he was great. He went up on another set, maybe the third set of the night or whatever. And Jimmy says, can I play with you? And Tommy's like, yeah. He starts to hand him his guitar. And he goes... No, 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 I want to play the bass behind you. Mm. And Tommy's like, I can't do that. He goes, sure you can. So I I don't think the recording exists, but it's Hendrix on bass and Tommy on guitar in 68. I can't remember what month. So Tommy uh, was like the new white young Hendrix of the Midwest in Denver. And they, pulled, they, they had this idea. There was a local, there was a gal... Named Candy Givens, who was also from Iowa, like Tommy, but not from Sioux City. Uh, she was like the new up-and-coming Janis Joplin young gal. And so the idea was to put the white Hendrix with the new Joplin and make this fantastic group. They had a fabulous keyboard player named John Ferris from Ohio. <clears throat> and they made this super group called Zephyr, which was like a mixture of Hendrix with John Lord and Janis Joplin, and they did uh, their first album's really cutting edge. The second album's pretty good, but Tommy, he he wanted to branch out and do different things, and his drummer Bobby Bergie did too. So they left and formed a band called Energy, which sounds like the stuff we just jammed on for the last hour, <laughs> and it's fantastic. Are you playing it on this podcast or a different podcast? Our last, our, it, it'll two? be in the feed next to it. In the feed next to it. Check it out, folks. We did two tracks. One's called the second one's the first one's called Channel Eight. I don't know what the second one's called. But uh are you gonna do both of them or just one? 
Uh, I'm going to cut out pieces from the first one and put it into the database okay. on chromaris.org, and then the other one I'll just have posted as a single piece on the podcast. So okay. It'll play by itself. Okay. Uh, yeah, that'll be called America's Engineering for the second one. Okay. So, um, Tommy did this ex- incredibly experimental music with energy, and they couldn't get signed, which was weird because that's when Pink Floyd did Dark Side, and uh, there was so much experimental music going on at the time, but they didn't want to touch energy. It was weird. But he, he did the album with Cobham, and then he ended up in James Gang for two albums. And then... He did an al- album with Alphonse Moussan from Weather Report. Sure. Fantastic album, Mind Transplant. Do yourself a favor. Uh, check, I, check out the Mr. Zero's final radio podcast, and you'll uh, be able to hear that track. Yes, yes. Um, I have a show on WDGY Sunday mornings, and we did a, a special on Tommy Part 1, but we're doing Part 2 in a week or so. Um but yeah, Mind Transplant, check it out on YouTube, but please buy a copy on Blue Note Records. It's the greatest album ever recorded. Rest in peace, my friend Alphonse. I uh, just saw a picture of him and I today at a Deep Purple concert. Anyway, uh, Tommy did an album with Alphonse, Mind Transplant, and then Coverdale loved his playing, and so he ended up in Deep Purple for two records. And then... Um, well, Coverdale... Coverdale had a copy of Spectrum and loved it. And so so Ian Gillen had already left Deep Purple? Yeah. Uh, and then Richie? Blackmore fired him because of Jesus Christ Superstar. What? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, Blackmore, because Ian Gillen did Jesus Christ Superstar in 73 and it was a record. Yeah. Ian Gillen became more popular than Blackmore in Purple. And they butted heads too much, and Blackmore goes, it's my band, you're out. And take that Roger Glover with you. And so they hired uh, Glenn Hughes from Trapeze first, and then they brought in David Coverdale, who was brand new. He hadn't done much before Purple. They did two al- three albums, two studio, one live, and then Blackmore quit. And they wanted the guy in... Um, That's weird to think of Coverdale being around back then. I think of him as... White Snake. White Snake. When did that happen? 79 or 80? Dig this. This is an amazing story here. Blackmore quits in 74. And they were looking at uh, Clem Burr, whatever band he was with at the time. Mop the Hoople or something. And uh, wasn't working. And Coverdale goes, I like this kid, Tommy. And the roadie goes, he's my neighbor. <laughs> they go, go get him. So Tommy came in and auditioned and it clicked. Uh, Coverdale was just sent in a demo tape to Blackmore. They wanted Paul Rogers of Free. And Paul said, no, I'm doing my own thing, Bad Company. And so they wanted a guy that sounded like Paul Rogers. And Blackmore felt Coverdale sounded like Paul Rogers. Yeah, it's got that kind of sassy hood accent or something that he puts on. It's funny. Uh, (laughs) Up north, the black country, I guess they call it. Um, in England, I've not been there, but this is what I read. Uh, and then I think Blackmore felt Coverdale was new enough; he was going to be obedient. And uh, but Blackmore quit, formed Rainbow with Dio, and then several members of Dio's band Elf. So Coverdale first started recording in 1974, and they got Tommy, and they did "Come Taste the Band," a studio. They did "Last Concert in Japan," which is alive. 
And then Ian Pace, John Lord told David Coverdale, we're, we're breaking up the band. And he goes, that's fine with me. And then those three became White Snake in 1978. And Dio said, you'll find a tight compadre and <laughs> form the world's most awesome band. Yes. <laughs> and, and that and uh, Kill the King. So, but, but Blackmore was a king, so I don't know. But yeah, uh, that's the weird thing. That's the funny thing is White Snake evolved from Deep Purple with three members of Deep Purple. 1978 really and and it seems like that stuff emerged more in the mid 80s but yeah th- but that's after they had all been at it for more than 10 years yeah yeah that album that took off that you're probably referring to is called white snake from 1987 and the deal was it started out to be a greatest hits record because coverdale's white snake was on at least two different labels maybe three different labels and he got signed to geffen and he's, they were kind of like, well, nobody's heard those old songs. Why don't you just go in the studio, recut them, and then we'll do like a greatest hits record without anybody knowing it's a greatest hits record. Rock me till you burned to the bone. But I don't care. And uh, <laughs> so they did uh, they, that 1987 White Snake album. Over half of it had been re- their their previous White Snake tunes. Okay. And so, so what was the original White Snake album like? Like, or there was <laughs> heavy an album? blues. Oh, okay. There's like eighty-seven so was their second album. No, no, no. Eight, um, okay, they, in White White Snake formed in seven, roughly seventy-seven. First album was seventy-eight. Wow. So they did one seventy-eight, they had uh, eight albums. So, so White Snake was their ninth album. Yes, the '87 album that everybody knows. That's crazy that they would just keep trying so long and not go out of business. Well, that's what I was saying. They were on two or three different record labels, and that that White Snake album, the '87 album, was like going to be a greatest hits. It was like take the best songs we had before and re-record them with this new band, which was Ainsley Dunbar from. Uh, Journey and Jefferson Starship and uh, John Sykes from Thin Lizzy. And uh, the bass player was the same. He had the same bass player in White Snake. But that's the thing about White Snake is I don't think much like Deep, not much like Deep, but I think White Snake albums only have the same lineup for two albums. So who's in Deep Purple on? Are they touring this year? Yeah. Who's in Deep Purple now? Ian Gillen. Ian Pace, Roger Glover, Don Airy, who was with Rainbow and Ozzy Osbourne, um, and Steve Morris from Dixie Dregs. Huh. Oh, but, Steve Morris. Yeah, he's he's a monster. He's, yes. he's another one of those famous ringer guys yeah. who can play anything. He, he joined in um, 95. I think he was on the Mark Marin podcast, so check that out. You should go through the the archives of that podcast, and you'd find a lot of cool stuff. Um, People should lot, go through this podcast, the archives of this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw, I saw, um, <clears throat> I saw Page, or and uh, it was the first Firm tour. Was that eighty eight? Uh, eighty five. 85 i'm i was still in high school when no. i saw the firm 
It was yeah. a big deal because that was Jimmy goddamn Page. And Paul Rogers. Yeah, and Paul Rogers. That was Managed dy- by Peter Grant. That was Dynamite. Yeah. Chris Slade on drums. Yep. Uh, they did two studio albums and a live album. And then I saw Deep Purple with uh, when they came with Satriani. and That was uh, 2001, I think. John Lord was still with them. That was his last tour. That was Ian Gillen. Ian Gillen, Soto. Roger Glover. John Lord. He, was, he had a Hawaiian shirt on. I thought it was like, okay, this doesn't seem very... I thought he'd be wearing some kind of leather. No. <laughs> when he was in Sabbath, that was a deal. He wouldn't wear leather, and they wanted him to wear leather, and he said, no, I'm not doing that. He wore blue jeans. And they asked him to cut his hair, and he said, I'm not doing that. He says, I, I'm Ian Gillen. I do what I do. We want you to wear this big silver cross. I'm not doing that. He's like, think while you still have me, move while you still see me. You'll be lost if you're so lonely when I'm gone. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry for my terrible uh, music impersonations. I just, lo- I just love the, you know, there's some, some, you, you can't stop, you can't stop the metal. No, you can't. So you asked me, you want me to talk about what I'm doing? Okay, I got my store, Mr. Zeros in Roseville, going on year nine. It'll be our ninth Christmas this year, uh, 1744 Lexington Avenue North, Roseville, Minnesota, MrZeros.com. Um, I'm still in Kissin' Time, four years now, 1974 Kiss Tribute Band. Going to be at Crypticon this year on, yeah. on Friday. Friday, November 3rd, we're opening the show, 9 o'clock. Dynamite, you got that, uh, the flaming, smoking, flashing, feeding back guitar? Yes, we do. Um, it was designed by a guy, two guys I, I know really well. Uh, yeah, that's it's it's about the first third of the show to grab the audience's attention. Uh, I'm amazed that that thing seems to be has been rebuilt, but it's never failed you yet. No, it's been rebuilt three times. That's awesome. you, <laughs> Due you, to the flames. Yep, uh, yep. Make a backup. I'm telling you. <laughs> so uh, we'll be uh, in St. Cloud on September 8th. And we'll be Crypticon November 3rd. We'll be at Leeds December 2nd. And then uh, I have a... Who are you going to be at Leeds with? Hollywood Boulevard. Is that a a glam? Yeah, they're like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue rolled into one. They're really good. Their guitar player is so hot, man. He just... I was watching him warm up. I was about to cry. And he's like... They asked me to come and do sound check. I go, nah, that's okay. I'll wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the guy was so good and and just effortless. He's doing these, I don't know, man, how many frets is that? Fives? Is that about five frets? He's just like, and I was like, wow. And their bass player is really good. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, so then I have a radio show on WDGY, uh, 7.40 a.m., 92.1 FM. We record at Wishing Star Studios in St. Paul, and it streams on 103.7. Uh, my sh- my deal is each Sunday for a half hour, I pick an artist, and I play one song from each record. And so far, it's worked out pretty good. We've done Monkees, we've done Kiss, we've done Tommy Bolin, we've done Harry Nielsen, we've done George Harrison, and we're doing The Birds, and, and the next... We're doing Tommy Bolin Part 2 and Bad Company are coming up in the next two. So tune in Sunday mornings for that. And um, 
I do play in another uh, in a cover band called Mr. Zero. We just do some covers. Um, and then I'm trying to get back together my Black Sabbath tribute band, Never Say Die. We just ran through War Pigs the other night. I sounded really good. Generals gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses. There, that's my impersonation. Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dynamite, when are you going to get around to a Yes show? I would want to hear all the members of Yes and all of their other projects. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Solo albums. Yes. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I want to hear it all. I don't know about if we'll do Frankie Goes to Hollywood in that, but we're definitely going to do Chris Squire, Steve Howe, John Anderson, and Rick Wakeman and Bill Bruford for sure. Uh, matter of fact, last night, digging around in the archives, I found them, so it's coming up. It's, nice. It's, it's, it's on... It's on the board. We're doing a Yes solo show on WDGY for sure. Well, you should do a second show that's Yes members in other bands. Like, what do you want? No, because then I'd have to play Asia, and that that's just offending. When too. the heart rules the mind. Or, and John Evangelis isn't bad, Mr. Cairo. Uh, who else? Squire wasn't. He was in X Y Z, but well, I mean, you got Wakeman on on Bowie albums. You've he was on a Black Sabbath record. I want to hear it. Um, yeah, the, um, but the, yeah, Trevor Horn used uh, Steve Howe a lot in his later work after he was in Yes. Um, I, I saw another album with Trevor Raven. Trevor Raven played with the second vocalist of. The Bay City Rollers. I can't. Huh. I can't remember the name of the band. Duncan Farr is the guy's name, and I saw the record. It's Trevor Rabin, Duncan Farr, and it was like '77 uh, or '78 before Duncan Farr was in the Bay City Rollers. He and was I, just in a documentary about uh, uh, film composers. Rabin. Yeah. You know what? Did you see? And in that episode. There, He's oh, fantastic. I'm, I'm sorry. There, there was an episode of uh, a podcast, and they were just talking about yes and your move, and then they started talking about this documentary about film composers, and they mentioned Trevor Rabin, but nobody made the connection. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Nobody knows who was in the Union tour, anyways. Nobody cares about yes, do they? Well, he was on nine zero two one zero nine zero two one five. That's that's one of the biggest albums ever, whether you like it or not. Uh, then, it uh, still had that Trevor Horn influence on it, so it was a. Oh, Trevor Horn! You talking about Trevor Horn or Trevor Raven? Talking about both of them. So Trevor, Trevor Horn was on drama singing. Yes, and, and then only the one. Then, but he did production on the the um the Trevor Rabin yes record, and then nine oh two one five. Yeah, and then he got fired for bad drum engineering, and uh, Alan White had to replay the whole album. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a sad story. Wasn't so. Bruford in King Crimson? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was with Blue. Did you? Know, you did you know? Alums. I'm right. I, oh, I have a monthly music column too uh, on Roseville Patch and MrZeros.com. There's a great live Genesis record that has Bill Bruford on it. Oh, I think it's a live video. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what concert it is, but there's a certain certain time when. Uh, so it was Collins singing. Well, dig this. Time. This month's article, Mr. Zero's Psycho Jello monthly music column, I'm doing Bad Company, doing my research. The bass player, Boz Burrell, played with what band? You'll never guess in a million years. 
King Crimson. Really? He was the vocalist from 71, 72, 73. King Crimson. I about wet myself. I was like, what? The bass player in Bad Company? But true story. I always I always like Greg Lake. Uh, you know, nothing against John Wetton. But um, uh, yeah, yeah, I got everything against John Wetton. Again, then, Asia. But you, you, you get that Asia and Asia videotape. And uh, it's got Greg Lake. Yeah, they're they're playing down a whole step to yeah. match his voice, and it oh. sounds great. And the guitar is mixed higher. You know how on all the Asia records, it's just vocals and drums. Yeah, and then and you can't really hear Steve Howe. There's but, a picture of Steve Howe. And then, but the yeah, so that Asia and Asia <laughs> MTV special. Yeah, I saw it when it aired. Yeah, so I mean, if you're a Steve Howe nut, that was a big deal. Yeah, I like Steve Howe. He's one of my favorites. Chris Squire better, though. Hey, did you see, uh, speaking of Yes, did you see Getty Lee sitting in with Yes? Yeah. That's awesome. That was pretty cool. Uh, like, it's just sad that I, there, I don't know if Getty got to play with Chris or not, but I would love to see those two guys play together. But those are the guys, Chris yeah, and was, Getty. Yeah, it was pretty much, you know, kind of... Uh they had both. It was kind of like the Union tour. Did they? They had both guitar players and both keyboard players. Yeah, yeah, that was really sweet. And then to see, you know, the, did you see the Union tour? You must. I have. did not have. I did oh not. yeah, like so. If you imagine a uh, long distance run around, but with guitar harmonies going on, it was good. Yeah, and also to give props to Trevor Rabin, you know, the second, the second one. Big generator was real cool, very creative. Fantastic level find a way. We played in my Mr. Zero cover band. Yeah, just a just a cool, creative, heavy record. And oh, then they that's awesome. Um, shoot high, aim low. Yep, and then talk. That's when I uh, got off of drugs. So a new Yes <laughs> album. It, <laughs> that was a big, big. That was a big deal to me because I, I. It was. That's it's, all I had to get high was a new Yes record. Hey, bring it on. Grossly <laughs> underrated that Talk record. I feel like by Talk, Trevor Rabin had absorbed so much of Steve Howe's of mojo from playing all of those old Yes songs. Yeah. On the, on the you know, they're they're playing a lot of their set was a lot of this classic yeah. stuff, and so oh, yeah. Trevor Rabin had really advanced as a guitar player yeah oh he's no slouch and and his composition was good but they said you know when they when they first found him they had some demos and this guy they said he sounded just like foreigner yeah it's this guy from south africa sounds like foreigner you just took the words right (laughs) out of my mouth um i did hear he's got a record out of his demos for the for yes and love will find a way all they did was bring in like Anderson and, and Squire, and they played over the demo. It, it's incredible. Yeah, it's funny that uh, the that's why that drama record is so uh, hard rock. In that they just had the three piece with Steve Howe, Chris Squire, and Alan White making up a lot of those rocking tunes, and so mm-hmm. that's why they're so rocking. But then. All of a sudden, they get this demo tape. The Buggles had just had an international super hit with radio, Video Killed the Radio Star, but they were these huge Yes fans. So they wrote a demo thinking it would only be their dream come true that Yes would take their song and record it. And next thing they know, they're on their way to Madison Square Garden trying to learn And You and I. <laughs> <laughs> Tempest Fugit. That's fantastic. We used to play that. I was in a Yes cover band and... Those notes go by really fast, especially when you're on stage. It's like, like you're do, in a time warp. Yeah, yeah. It's like this weird legato uh, 
picking thing. Fantastic. Uh, I did not see the union. <laughs> I did not see the union tour, but I did, however, meet Chris Squire and John Anderson uh, at a show. I don't know when it was twenty two thousand one or something. Wow. And Chris Squire comes out, and I said, "Hey, man, we signed my Chris Squire solo record." And he goes, "Sure, man." And he signed it, and he goes, "Thanks." And he hands it back, and John Anderson comes out, and I'm like holding the record. And he goes, "Hi." He goes, "No." He goes, he walks out, and he goes, "Hello and goodbye." And he jumped in the van and left. <laughs> so John Anderson did not sign my record, and Chris Squire did. And the guy, you know, when I was young, I, I love to tell this story. When I was young. Everybody I knew was a guitar player and usually a rhythm guitar player and me included. So I started to learn bass because there were no bass players in Sioux City at the time. And to this day, because there's one guy, Sam Irish, plays in every single band because he's the only bass player in town. And even his kid is a drummer. But anyway, uh, so I started to learn bass and I wanted to... I want. I I tried. I started studying like Getty Lee and Chris Squire, and I wasn't getting anywhere, and I didn't understand it. And then years later, I got a, a, a Rickenbacker four thousand, and I saw how, how big it was on me. And I go, well, it doesn't look like that on Chris Squire. And then I met him. The dude's like six three. So when he's wearing a Rickenbacker four thousand, it's like an SG on me. And that's his hands are huge, his arms are long, and he that's. That was part of the success of Chris Squire. So, folks, if you're listening out there and you want to play bass guitar, be tall with long arms, like Terry. And I, you know, I'm I'm sort of in a paradoxical position with him because for me, I would tell any bass player, uh, just play with your fingers, turn up the bass all the way, you know, clean power. But my favorite bass player plays with a pick and goes, gring, 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 you know, through a, through a Marshall stack. Who's know? that, Squire Chris or Squire. Glover? Chris Squire. Squire played through Marshall, too? He had a, a super hot rod 200-watt head that had an extra treble circuit. Because uh, had... Roger Glover played with Marshall heads and big 15 bottoms. Um, but you're right about that because uh, get, uh, Geezer Butler... Is probably only about five eight, and he, you know, he's when he first started, he was playing uh, Fender Precision, but he played. If you watch him, primarily played above the seventh fret, where the frets were closer together, you know, and and then his fingers picked just below the bottom of the neck. He didn't pick back by the bridge. He yeah, could, you get more fundamental when when you play more towards the middle, and he did both hands more towards the middle. Um, and he did not use a pick. So I guess Chris Squire's uh, Rickenbacker, his original one was all shaved thinner and thinner because of you know having to shave off flower stickers and different colored paint jobs over the years, and so he had like a an extra thin body. <laughs> I mean, they're not that thick to begin with. Yeah, so it it, it had been refinished so many times. Huh? From the the. I, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I did not know that. Definitely re- recommend the Fish Out of Water record. Silently yeah. Falling is fantastic. There's Lucky a, Seven. There's a great. Uh, there's a great video of you by my side. Yes. On uh, on YouTube, you can watch with Mraz and Bruford. I watched that in the stu- in the studio a couple weeks ago. 
I met Patrick Moraz too. Uh-huh. He uh he um he was doing this solo classical piano thing and he came out to sign for a couple of people and he looked at me and he goes, "You a musician?" And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Do you want to jam?" I said, "No." I said, "Why'd you quit the Moody Blues?" And he said, "They quit me." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, "What about yes?" And he goes, "Kind of the same thing. You want to jam?" "Nope." <laughs> uh yeah, the one one if you're a big relayer fan it's okay yeah i i'm i'm a i like the composition of the the gates of delirium i guess it was pretty much john anderson cooked the whole thing up and but uh it's really neat how they you know have such a i don't know gates of delirium has this really cool composition and then there's this giant drum fill and then the theme comes in and then there's this beautiful part it's such a such a it's like this weird yes record that it's a no masterpiece one, that people aren't really that hip to it's not even a joke like topographic oceans that it's this pompous giant thing it's just this two records four songs uh, this crazy crazy record but uh if if you like that kind of funk prog fusion check out saint vincent there's some really good videos of her at uh, pitchfork festivals and stuff and she's got her latest stuff has been getting more synth funk and okay she's also got a, a real proggy approach to guitar very technical very uh very creative off the wall so yeah saint vincent she's Be before i forget real strong when if you check out the tune that terry and i the two tunes that terry and i just recorded and you like that Go check out Tommy Boland's Energy with Jeff Cook, Bobby Berge, Stanley Sheldon from Peter Frampton's band, and Tom T. Stevenson from Joe Walsh's band. Uh, they did a lot of stuff like that, but back in 72. It's, it's on YouTube, and there's about five C different CDs available. But if you like what Terry and I just did on those two tracks, there's some of that uh, that kind of stuff from back in the day and i think you'll like that too and if you like some heavy metal effortless guitar playing uh check out some 41 on youtube with <laughs> their back in action and uh boy band boy punk band <laughs> is what terry described that um i yep yep dave brown's on back she's back in the band all right Thanks so much, Richard. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> All right. Thank you.